The first reading taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, beginning to read at verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was sharing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favourable towards my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us, all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cake of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. 
His name is Fu, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offence, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, 
and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Two intriguing passages, and we'll see how they lap over together, overlap together in some ways. What we're doing over this month is focusing on a generous God, God of the harvest who gives so much, how great thou art. And because God gives us so much, because of his great gifts to us, we as followers of him have choices to make about how we respond to all that he has given us. And we're wanting to spend some time just over these weeks thinking about different aspects of our lives and the choices we make. And are we making the right choices in response to all that God has given us? But we begin with that sense of who God is and for that generosity that he pours into our lives. Last week we thought about how we run the risk of compartmentalising our lives, cutting it up into little bits and letting God into some of them. And he calls us for the whole of our lives because he wants to flow throughout all of our lives. He wants to influence every aspect of who we are and grow and develop us to be his children, to be his people. Today we're going to think about gifts and talents, to think about the things, the skills, the qualities, the things that we can do that God has given us and the choices that we make about how to use them. The second passage from the Gospel is a bit clearer. It's fairly evident what that is about and that call to use the gifts and skills that God has given us well. First story is a little bit more intriguing, this lovely story of Abigail. Samuel the king has died, and David has been anointed to be the future king. He isn't the king yet, but it's just after the burial of Samuel, and he, David and his men, are going through the desert. And they need some hospitality. And they're aware that Nabal, Nabal, is, is close by. And in a previous occasion, David and his men have been good to, to Nabal and kind to him. And they think it would only be right and proper to go and ask for that hospitality to be reciprocated. Not least because that is what is done in the Middle East. Hospitality is hugely important and offering kindness to the stranger, to those in need. Offering food, shelter, water. That is what is done. But Nabal in verse 3, is surly and mean in his dealings. Luckily, he's got a wife, and she is an intelligent and beautiful woman. And Abigail comes to the rescue. It's interesting that Nabal's men realize they haven't got much chance, because what has happened is that the hospitality has been refused, and David is furious. And so David is setting, he's getting his men armed up, and ready for battle. So there's a risk of this lack of hospitality actually resulting in a battle. You think, goodness me, is it worth it? But actually, yes, it probably was. 
So there's a risk of battle, and Nabal's men go to Abigail and say, Abigail, you've got to sort this out. Nabal the master is being mean and surly, as his name suggests, and he's refused this hospitality, and look where it's leading. You need to do something. And Abigail, because she's intelligent, stops to think, how best can I do this? She's obviously got a gift of diplomacy. She's obviously skilled in working out the right thing to do. But she's limited in her choices. She's a woman. There's not every opportunity open to her. It would be very hard for her to go and act as if she was a man and to deal in negotiating directly with David. So firstly, she's got a gift of diplomacy and working out the best way of stopping this battle from happening. And secondly, she needs to think, what other skills do I have that I can use to alleviate this situation? So the gift of hospitality comes into its own. And so she gathers together this array of food, the five dressed sheep, the two skins of wine, the 200 loaves of bread, five sears of roasted grain, and so on, and so on, and takes it. And having taken the food and put forward that, that gesture of openness of, can we begin to talk? We're sorry for what's happened. Here is our gesture to you. She's then able to speak to David and the battle doesn't happen and peace is restored. Interesting that food speaks, isn't it? Interesting that Abigail needs to think very, very carefully about what to do and how to respond. She's got some choices. She could say to the men who come, nothing to do with me. You know what my husband's like. He's said what he said. That's it. There's going to be a battle. She could have made the wrong choices in how to approach David and made matters even worse. She had choices about how to respond. But the way that she used her gifts and talents were able to be used for God's purpose. And we can see God's hand at work in what she does and the outcome of this story. We have a choice as to how to use our gifts and talents and ultimately whether we will use them to bring about God's purposes. We believe that God has made us who we are and so therefore it is he who has given us the gifts, the talents, the skills, the qualities, the abilities, all those things. Yes, they are grown and nurtured and built and developed as we grow and live. But who we intrinsically are, God has made us. And so we have received these gifts and talents from him. And we can choose how to use them. We can use them for our own benefit or we can use them for God's benefit. And if we want to respond to a generous God, then we need to think about how to use those gifts and talents for God's purpose so that his work can be done, so that his kingdom can continue to be built on earth. 
What did Abigail have to do? What was involved for her in using her gifts and talents? Firstly, she had to decide to act. We need to make a decision. Are we going to do something or not? Sometimes it's easier just to to sit back and not to do anything. So the first thing we need to think about is deciding to act. She then had to discern how to act. Having reached the decision that she was going to do something, she needed to work out how best to do it. So again, that's a lesson for us. We need to pray for discernment. We want to act. We want to use the gifts that God has given us. But how should we do that? So many questions. In what area? I've got X amount of time. How best can I use the gifts that I've got in the time that I have? How should I respond? Because there's a choice of ways of responding. How should I respond? We need discernment. And God will give us that discernment if we ask. So we need to decide to act. We then need to discern how to act. We've also got to know what our gifts are. Abigail knew what she could do. She knew she had a gift of diplomacy. And she knew she had a gift of hospitality. And so she could respond strongly, confident in those gifts. We need to know what our gifts are. She needed to be willing to take a risk. She was going against her husband's wishes. So there's a bit of danger involved in this. And she needed to step up to the mark. Step out of her comfort zone. Approaching an angry future king of Israel. She needed to be willing to step up to the mark. God gives us gifts and talents. And he asks us to use them. To use them for his purpose, for his kingdom. And the gospel reading is clear on that. We have been given gifts and talents. And he is looking to us to using them. And that's where our choices come about. And we need to think through our motives. Do we want to use our gifts in the service of God, wherever we are? And it's not just in church. And this is a problem we have, and this is a problem I have in speaking today. Because we are a body of Christ and we use our skills and talents to build the body here. But we leave this place and we go to wherever we end up on Monday morning. And we will all be in different settings and places on Monday morning. And we are the same people equipped with gifts and talents that God has given us. And he calls us to use them wherever he places us. Do we want to use what God has given us for his purpose? And what stops us doing that? I want us to think about a few of the reasons that we might not be confident in doing this. Firstly, I think we don't often recognise what God has equipped us in. We don't acknowledge the gifts and talents that he has given us. So many times I hear people say, I don't know what my gifts are, I'm not sure I have any. And we almost over-spiritualize this idea of the word gift, and maybe the word gift is not the word to have. 
we need to think of the language to use that we can be confident in saying, yes, God has equipped me in this. But there's something about us that is hesitant to actually acknowledge and hold what God has given us. If you are applying for a job and you have a job description, you read through the job description in making a decision as to whether you're going to apply for the job. About 50% of the population will look at the job description and say there are 10 items. I can do six of them, four of them I can't. I better not apply. The other 50% will look at it and say, I can do six of them. There's only four I can't do. Of course I'll apply. And I won't tell you the gender balance of which. (laughs) But there's a hesitancy sometimes in undermining who we are and not living as the people we are. And that is false modesty. Because if God has given us these gifts and talents, who are we to say we don't have them? And we have to learn to stand strong in who God has made us to be. And I find that a really hard lesson because I feel arrogant when I say God has given me the ability to do A, B, or C. And I worry about, I run the risk of getting puffed up and conceited. But if I don't acknowledge what God has equipped me to do, I won't do it. So we've got to get over this barrier And we've got to acknowledge and stand strong in the people that God has made us to be and claim those gifts and talents. Another reason that stops us from using our gifts is that we compare ourselves to other people. So I look at other people and think, I wish I had those gifts. Rather than rejoicing in the gifts I have, I always feel inadequate because I look at other people and I think, I wish I could paint I wish I could play the piano. And these are genuine things. And, and then I don't rejoice in what I can do. Yes, there is no harm in admiring the gifts and talents that other people have. But if I constantly live feeling undermined because I haven't got those gifts, I'm not going to use them, the ones that I do have. We mustn't compare ourselves. We are all unique. And we need to value all the gifts that we that, that exist. We sometimes choose not to use them because we're fearful or we're reluctant or we don't want to hand over our lives to God and we touched on that last week. And sometimes we don't know how to use them. We might know we can do A, B or C but we think, where on earth can I use that? Where can I use that for God? We want to live generous lives in response to all that God has given us. And part of that is using our gifts and talents for his glory. And I wonder whether we need to think carefully about the culture we are creating here in church. Firstly, to recognize that gifts and talents are used wherever we go. It's not that we put on our church hat and we use our God-given gifts and talents in the context of church and it doesn't count elsewhere. We've got to get over that. We, whoever we are, wherever we are, we are God's people using all that he has given us. But nonetheless, there is an aspect where we do come together as God's family, as his people here, to do the job that he has asked us to do as a body. And so we want to share that job, that task, that ministry, and we will each use 
the different gifts and talents that he has given us here in this place. So what sort of culture do we need here in Monash to encourage the use of our gifts, to nurture one another, to help us to identify them, to spot them in other people, to value them in other people. I love the fact that God has given you the gift of whatever, of playing the piano, because that enhances our worship and means that I can come and sing God's glory. And I can't do that, so I'm grateful that God has equipped you to do that. We value one another. We don't have a hierarchy of gifts and say there are some really important gifts and there are some that don't really matter. They all matter. And if we ever get into the the game of saying that some gifts are more special than others, we've got it completely wrong. We need a culture where every gift is valued. We need a culture that encourages risk-taking, where we can have a go, where it's all right to get it wrong. Because we don't grow in our gifts unless we practice them. If I have a gift in speaking, it is only one that has grown over 10 years. The nub of it was always there, but when I first started speaking, it was tentative and nervous and needed to grow and develop. But if I hadn't stood up on that first occasion and spoken, it would never have grown. So we need a culture that is kind to one another where we don't demand success all the time, where we have this place where we can make mistakes, where it's okay to take a risk, it's okay to get it wrong, because in, in trying it, we grow and we develop. And all gifts are needed. The gifts of hospitality that demonstrate who God is, are vital. The gifts of caring for one another, the pastoral needs. Gifts of administration that keep our body functioning and working. Evangelism, servanthood, teaching, leading. We value all the gifts and we recognize them in one another and we encourage them to grow and develop. And we see our life here as a place where we serve from who we are rather than thinking there's a list of jobs in order for this church to function and we've got to fill them. And I'm sorry that it sometimes sounds as if that's what it's like because there's a reality that there are a list of things that need to happen for our church to function. And sometimes we get it wrong and we make them chores and burdens. And I'm sorry for that. We need a place where we step up to do the things we can do. Sometimes we have to step into the things we're not so confident in as well. But if using gifts has become a chore and a burden, I'm sorry. And if we need to change that culture, where if we ask you to do something, you say no because you think you'll never get out of that job, and that happens, we will change that. If we need to say, you sign up for things for one year only, and we review at the end of every year, to allow that stepping down, because using our gifts and talents must not become a burden and a chore. I think we seriously need to think about the culture we create for all those reasons. 
a place of encouragement, a place of nurture, a place where we can identify with one another where those gifts lie, where we encourage risk-taking, where it's okay to get it wrong, where we are all valued, where all the gifts are used and cherished, and where we don't feel we've signed up for life. God is a generous God. He has equipped this place for what he calls us to do. Let's find where we fit and what he's calling each one of us at this time in this place. Amen.